Hi, it's Finn Dwyer from the Irish History Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the Acast app or wherever you get podcasts. This is Everything is Black and White podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live and sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, bringing you the latest insight into everything to do with Newcastle United. Find us on iTunes, Spotify or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Everything Is Black and White Podcast. It's time for our weekend preview. Newcastle head down to Villa Park on Monday to take on Aston Villa. And I'm talking to Birmingham Live's football editor, Matt Kendrick. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. No problem. Um, Well, let's start with this weird rivalry that Newcastle and Aston Villa seem to have. Um, It goes back more than 10 years now. is the feeling towards Newcastle fans as big as the feeling towards Aston Villa fans is up here? I don't think so. I think it's all. Um, I think it's all a bit tongue in cheek, really. Uh, I can understand why Newcastle fans were, were riled by it because it was uh, Villa fans kind of glorifying in, in Newcastle's hour of need, wasn't it? Um, and kind of mocking them. Uh, you're referring to the old sub on the time banner. That's the one, yeah. Uh, and the um, Anton Deck, who's your next messiah, those kind of things. Um, I actually tracked down the guy who, who was responsible for the banner a couple of years ago to, to try and kind of get a bit of insight into to why he did it. And I think he's just a bit of a kind of, I don't know, a bit of a Jack the Lad character, I suppose, who just thought it would be a little bit of mischief. Um, I don't think he quite realised the, the impact it would have because it seems to have kind of created a kind of fake rivalry that, that never existed. I mean, I can can been a Villa fan myself for, you know, the best part of 35 years and I can't recall until that banner was kind of uh, paraded for the first time. I can't recall there ever been any real needle between the between the two teams. Um, so I think I think it was just the timing of it, wasn't it? I think obviously um, the Newcastle fans were already feeling low and feeling down on the look. So to to see one of their rivals kind of flaunted it in their face uh, at such a time, I think I think it's kind of taken on a bit of a life of its own since then. But I, I don't think it's a, it's a genuine rivalry. Uh, you know, if you ask, ask Newcastle, Newcastle fans who their main rivals were. I'm sure these, you know, the, these clubs closer to home up there than Aston Villa would, would, would be the first teams that they mentioned. So um, it, add, it adds a little bit of extra extra edge to it, but I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a serious rivalry. What about Steve Bruce then being in charge at Newcastle? Obviously, um, it didn't end too well at Aston Villa when he was in charge there, with a the cabbage being thrown at the feet of him and his, uh, his team, the dugout. Does Steve Bruce being part, uh, well, being Newcastle manager, add a bit, a bit more spice to this fixture? I think so, yeah. I mean, obviously, Steve Bruce, the last time he set foot inside Villa Park was, was Cabbage Gate, um, which ended up being his, his final match in charge. And it was, it was a sorry, sorry ending, really, because, you know, even though the kind of relationship between Bruce and the, and the, the Villa Park fans, even though it kind of degenerated, he, Nobody wanted it to kind of end in such a farcical way like that. You know, Steve Bruce um, is a good bloke and he did his best for Aston Villa. And obviously 
history tells you that, that Villa were right to, to make the change with, with, with Steve Bruce's successor, Dean Smith, um, albeit with the, you know, the, the, the number of players that, that Bruce had bought in Smith was able to do what Bruce couldn't and get them promoted to the Premier League. So the decision was absolutely right. Um, at the time, Bruce, obviously, you know, when, when you're a manager under pressure, came out fighting, um, had a, a little pop at, at people who, who criticised him, uh, including my, myself back then. The decision was proved right, but I don't think anybody kind of wishes any kind of bad feeling to, towards Steve Bruce. It just, it happens, doesn't it? You know, sometimes football manager managers are good fit for certain clubs. Sometimes they're not. Um, so it will definitely add spice to the occasion. Um, you know, Villa are feeling a little bit down on their luck, having lost to the local derby at Wolves before the international break. So, you know, Villa have, have had quite made quite a competitive start to the Premier League, really, in terms of most of the games they've been in them. Um, you know, they've thrown away leads against Arsenal, against Tottenham and against Liverpool. Uh, probably the Wolves game was the first time that they didn't really turn up, or they certainly didn't turn up for the first half. So I think as much as the Bruce factor is going to be a massive one, I think for Villa fans, it's about getting three points on the board, really, uh, and trying to kind of put a bit of distance between themselves and then the relegation zone. How do you think Bruce will be welcomed at Villa Park? Will it be booze or... Will it be, you know, geez, it's just another manager returning to the ground? I think it'll be more than just another manager. Uh, I don't think they'll be. I don't think it'll be pelted with sprouts or carrots or anything like that. I don't think. I think there might be some kind of. There might be a kind of ripple of, of pantomime booze, but I think that. I think the, the the general, the general feeling would be, okay, it didn't end well. But equally, you know, Villa have picked himself back off the floor and got in the Premier League. Bruce has picked himself back up off the floor and got himself in the Premier League. Um, so, like I said, I think there might be, I think it'd be a mixture. There'll be a couple of couple of pantomime, pantomime boos and jeers, but I think there'll also be a kind of healthy ripple of applause as well. Um, so, yeah, um, let's <laughs> let's see see what the reaction's like at the end of the game. I suppose that depends uh, depends how the result goes. It does indeed. I'm going to ask you for Aston Villa's star man now, the one man that Newcastle really need to keep quiet. And if you answer how I think you might, we'll lead into my next question. If you don't, I'll ask that later on in the show. But for you, Matt, who is the key man Newcastle need to keep quiet? I think you're probably going to expect me to to say Jack Grealish. Um, Now, he has been the talisman for the last couple of seasons. Certainly the, the impact that he made when he came back from injury. The back end of last season, you know, Villa went on a record 10-game winning run and that was the catalyst for them to get get promotion back to the Premier League. For me, as important a player as Jack Grealish is, Villa have got to learn to find a way to, to, to play without him. And I think during the the Liverpool game, when, when Grealish was missing... They still produced a hell of a performance. Now, I know they lost the game in the closing stages, but John McGinn, to me, is such a crucial player for Aston Villa, particularly at home because, you know, Villa, Villa have welcomed being back in the Premier League. They've sold out the ground every week. The atmosphere is generally being good. But you can sense the nervousness coming in now when Villa are, you know, Villa are used to winning football matches from their time in the Championship. And winning football matches has been a lot more difficult um, in the Premier League, obviously. So it takes somebody like McGinn sometimes when the atmosphere is a bit nervy or when the game gets a little bit scrappy to kind of give Villa that home advantage. McGinn's the type of player who kind of... You know, he doesn't chase lost causes for the sake of chasing lost causes because he thinks it will make him look good. He chases it because he thinks it will make things happen. You know, he's got so much energy. Um, not the biggest guy in the world, but uses uses the physicality that he has got to good effect. 
Uh, and technically as well, I think sometimes people forget what a kind of technician he is. Um, so I think, you know, if, if, if Villa can get a positive fitness update on Grealish and get him and McGinn in the team on, on Monday evening, then I think I think that probably edges the game in, in, in Villa's favour. Without Grealish in the team, there's an extra onus on, on McGinn to be the one who kind of provides the heartbeat of Villa and who lifts the fans. I was actually going to say McGinn because my next point was that Steve Bruce brought him to the club um, from Hibernian at a time when Villa were really struggling financially and, and what a buy it turned out to be. Yeah, it was kind of, it turned out to be Steve Bruce's parting gift to Aston Villa, really. And I remember when McGinn was kind of, you know, pulling up trees in the, in the first couple of months of, of coming down to, to play for Villa. Uh, and there were, the chant was, um, I think he's, he's Stevie Bruce's man, he's better than Zidane. That's obviously been tweaked now. He's Dean Smith's man now. He's still better than <laughs> Zidane, according to the according to the chant. But yeah, what a spot that was to, to sign McGinn. You know, I think they're talking about two and a half million quid. Um, and he's been linked with Man United kind of relentlessly for the last couple of months. And if he is to leave Villa anytime soon, and we all really, really hope and pray that he doesn't, then that two that two and a half million quid is probably looking nearer to twenty five million quid. I'd have thought. Uh, I think he's um, he's a great character, and I think I, I think. Like I say, although it ended poorly for, for Steve Bruce, I think I think people if they can put aside the last couple of months when it did turn bitter and it did turn sour, would still still, still give Bruce credit for, for coming in at a time when Villa had lost their way. You know, they'd been relegated from the Premier League. Di Matteo had come in and hadn't really been able to steady the ship. And Bruce, Bruce brought a bit of pride back to the place. Um, and But for a kind of tepid first-half performance against Fulham at Wembley in the playoff final um, last year, then... He may have delivered promotion, so it's a it's a really really interesting one. How history will judge Steve Bruce at Bruce at Aston Villa? <laughs> Without being harsh, you probably judge him as a footnote because he, he he was the guy before the guy who got them back in the Premier League, if you know what I mean. Uh, but certainly certainly thank thank Brucey for McGinn definitely. So how do they do they stop McGinn? Because obviously he's come back from international duty and he'll be bouncing because he scored a couple of goals. Um, I mean, what is the best way for Newcastle to make sure that McGinn doesn't hurt them on Monday nights? Oh, I don't want to tell you that, do I? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Bruce, Bruce will know, know better than most. I mean, I think McGinn was pretty flat against the, against Wolves, to be honest. Um, I, I think... I think clubs of opposition, sorry, opponents have, have tried to stop McGinn the, the way they've tried to stop Jack Grealish in recent weeks by just kind of giving him a big boot um, and trying to kick him off the ball. Good thing about McGinn is he kind of welcomes all that. He'll, you know, he, he's, he's so relentless. Um, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but he, he plays football the, the way that kind of every fan. Of, well, they'd say they'd play football like that. I doubt there'd be too many people from the whole thing to be able to sustain the energy that McGinn's got. But I don't think I don't think it's a case of of, of actually singling him out and stopping McGinn because McGinn, if McGinn's on form, he will find a way. Um, the thing, the, the key issue that Villa have had is that the burden, a lot of the burden of, at the top of the pitch has been on on Wesley, the Brazilian striker, and the wingers have blown a bit hot and cold as wingers tend to do. So we've had Trezeguet, we've had El Ghazi, we've had Hotter um, in there and none of them has really nailed down, nailed down that role. So I think 
Newcastle's Newcastle's issues, as much as stopping McGinn, will be making sure that they keep the wingers quiet because when Villa do function as a as a front three and McGinn's on on song, Villa can can hurt you from from different areas. But when Villa when Villa's don't function in wide areas and Wesley's not being given the support he needs, Villa can look a little bit tussless. Um, so, you know, whether it's whether it's Jack Grealish or whether it's John McGinn, Villa Villa aren't aren't a one one man team. Well, that was the next question on, on Wesley. Obviously, heavily linked Newcastle. You understand? And was it actually Newcastle were leading the race before uh, Villa jumped in to the front of the queue and signed him? How has he done so far? He has scored in the Premier League, but he. In many ways, he, he's a bit like Joel Linton that he, he hasn't really found his feet yet in the Premier League. Um, but obviously, the expectation is that that will come. Big money, a young a young man. Um, so I suppose plenty of time for him to actually find what the Premier League is all about. I think you've kind of nailed it there because big money and a young man. So how how do we judge him? Do we judge him as a young twenty two year old? I say kid. That's maybe an old man. A twenty two year old coming into the in the Premier League. Should he be given a little bit more time to and patience to, to find his feet in the Premier League, or record signing, you know, card of twenty million plus? Should he should we expect him to hit the ground running? It's been a bit of both, really. You know, he has scored. You know, he, it's not as if he's gone on a massive goal drought. He he has found the net um, several times. I think my concern about Wesley is that there's nobody in reserve who's really challenging him. Now, I'm not sure. I'm not saying that Wesley is complacent. He's anything but, but complacent. He works hard and he, he grafts for the team. But sometimes you need that extra kind of kick to know that your place is under threat. Now, Villa don't have that. And that, to me, is the biggest oversight to a, a fairly kind of, well, a very expensive, fairly um, thorough and comprehensive recruitment drive last summer. The fact that they didn't, didn't recruit another striker alongside Wesley either to play as a foil with him in the same team or to take the burden off him. Because um, what's happening is Wesley's having to play as a kind of battering ram who occupies a couple of centre-halves each game. And they're expecting him to lead the line, kind of Emil Heskey style, and bring people into play, but also be the one who's got the energy to kind of make things happen and to get on the end of crosses. So I think there's a, there's a real, real big demand on on somebody who, who is new to the Premier League. And I think we have, you have to judge him on the in those terms really he has come in he has worked hard you know there's been good games where his his first touch has been good where he's kind of battled two defenders I'm talking about remember the Everton game when he when he opened his account for Villa uh, and was really really kind of you know stood up strong that day and then there's been games where he's been been less impressive uh, at Villa Park and away from home where you've thought you know is this guy the real deal um, I'm hoping that fact that he's he's got a, got his first call up and his first cap, albeit for a few minutes, with Brazil will do his do his confidence wonders. I don't know. I mean, if Wesley goes on and scores 12 goals for Aston Villa this season, and those 12 goals keep him in the Premier League, then it, it represents good business. And I wouldn't wouldn't rule that rule that out to be honest. We hope we've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group. The Northeast number one family-owned Toyota, Mazda, and Suzuki dealership group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from. This is Acast recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. 
and this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And what about weaknesses then? What is Aston's biggest weakness that you would expect Steve Bruce to try and take advantage of? I suppose it's been the kind of vulnerability late on in games, really. They've got themselves in, in so many strong winning positions only to, to creak to creak late on. So I think it's that. I think Bruce will, will encourage his players to, to keep going right until the end, knowing that, you know, if Villa are holding a, a, a slender lead, knowing that the nerves, nerves will creep in, knowing that the Villa Park, Villa Park is, is expectant and, and, and needing to kind of get those three points every single time. Um, so I think I think it will be that. I mean, defensively, there's been you know they look they look decent as a unit. They look solid, but then there'll be whether it's it's kind of people knocking, it's clubs knocking on the door and you get eventually forcing an individual mistake. They can be got at, um, which they shouldn't really because if you look at the players on an individual basis, they've all looked fairly solid. You know, Tyrone Mings was the, the man who the Villa fans were clamouring for the club to sign in the summer after he impressed on loan last year. And his form and performances have, have earned him a place in the England setup, and he hasn't looked out of place there. Um, Bjorn Engels, the, the other centre-half of their sign from Belgium, has looked very calm and composed, and the Premier League hasn't looked like it's, it's held much fear for him. Um, in the full-back areas, they've, they've got Matt Target, who, yes, he's kind of cramped up a little bit and had slight injury troubles but when he has played has looked has looked decent going forward and defensively and then on the the right side they've signed a, a guy called uh, Frederick Gilbert uh, a French lad who again has, has has looked good um but I think it's I think it's these things I think it's a psychological thing the, the longer games go and knowing that Villa have thrown away points from winning positions I think they still need to kind of get a bit more streetwise and get that kind of Real kind of impossible to be, beat mentality. So, I think that's what Bruce will be doing. He'll be he'll be saying, "Keep going, keep going, keep going," and he'll know he'll know that the Villa Park crowd can be a force for good when things are going well for Villa, and it can be not a force for bad because I think the vibe has been good at Villa Park for for, for the bulk of the season. But he'll also know that Newcastle can play on the frustrations of, of the Villa, Villa Villa faithful. You know, if things don't go their way. Um, so in terms of form coming into this game, uh, lost the last three, but I mean the, the, the table's so tight that I guess there isn't really at this point in the season a worry. Um, I mean, what? How are Villa fans looking at their recent form coming into this game? I think I think it was important that they beat Norwich and Brighton. Um, and what we're talking about, probably talking a month or five or six weeks ago, um, and they came they came into the last international break. Um, having beaten Norwich five uh, one away and really really buzzing, uh, Jack Wilshere really in full flow. I think 
listen, you don't you don't class any game as a free hit because you you want to try and take as many points as you can. But I think Man City away and Liverpool at home, it was always going to be a bonus if they took anything out of it, uh, out of those games. The fact that they were beating Liverpool with five minutes left uh, made that one a particularly tough defeat to swallow. Um, I think the Wolves' performance worried Villa fans, to be honest, because. It was flat, and they haven't seen a flat performance from a Dean Smith team, from Dean Smith Villa team. There, they haven't seen many at all. Um, so there was mitigation there because they had lost Bjorn Engels to injury. Jack Grealish's injury was more severe than first feared. Uh, Tom Heaton had suffered an injury in training a couple of days into the game, and then Matt Target was injured du- during the game, and Jed Steer was injured during the game. So there were mitigating factors, but equally, this again exposes whether Villa have got enough strength in depth. Uh, I think that's Villa's biggest biggest fear. They know that they they're eleven that they can get on the field if they were to get their first choice eleven on the field every week, they'd have a good chance of. Um, been competitive in, in each and every game but when you scratch beneath the surface are those replacements of a, of a good enough level and I suppose that that's that's the that's the concern for Villa I still think the, the, the morale is good I still think within Bodymore Heath the training base and if you asked you know if you went into the high street in Birmingham City Centre and asked, asked most Villa fans I'd think that, that, that most of us would be confident that Villa would have enough in the tank to, to stay in the Premier League um, but I just you know, any kind of delusions they had of, of finishing halfway up the Premier League, I think that might be too much of an ask uh, at the first year of asking. So you've mentioned a couple of names there that I know suffered a few injury problems in the last few weeks. Can you just give our listeners an update on um, on Aston Villa's injury news? Well, we're waiting to, to speak to, um, to to Dean Smith at his press conference at the, at the time of asking. Mind you, having said that, Villa are very guarded with giving, giving news away anyway. Um, Jack Grealish is supposed to be 50-50 for the last three weeks and we haven't seen him um, so you know we know that he that he has been been back in training so we're hoping that the international break has come at the right time for him uh, if he's fit I should imagine he'll be involved from the start especially because the Wolves performance was flat so Steve Smith will want his talisman on the pitch um, this is the kind of this is the roundabout way we get our injury news uh, Orjan Nyland who's the, the third choice goalkeeper he, he's given an interview in Norway suggesting that Tom Heaton could be out for another couple of weeks. So we'll have to take his word on it unless Dean Smith tells us differently um, Differently when we when we speak to him at the presser. Um, Matt Target should be fine. He suffered a bit of concussion against um, against Wolves. So we, we hear that he should be back. Um, just trying to think who else. Jed, Jed Steer um, suffered quite... quite um, really unlucky, actually. He suffered an injury within five minutes of... of, of, of playing against Wolves so he's out of action um, other than that I think unless I'm forgetting anybody I think they're in reasonable shape I think Hotter's back after a minor groin operation so he should be available for selection um, yeah they're not they're not in too bad shape it's Grealish the one it's, you know that's the one that the Villa fans have got the prayer mapped out for because they know that when not only when Jack Grealish plays do they have a really talented kid on the pitch but then Jack Grealish on the pitch raises the performance level of those around him and almost kind of when there's two or three defenders occupying you know occupied by Jack Grealish it creates space for the likes of McGinn uh, for, for the likes of um, some of the wide players as well so what about the view then of Newcastle from Villa fans I know we've covered this fake rivalry at the start of the show but 
what is the view, first of all, about this game? Is this a game that Aston Villa fans think, right, we should be beating teams at Newcastle? We should be, you know, waking up on Tuesday morning with, with all three points? Speaking to my um, speaking to my daughter's one of my daughter's teachers today on the school run, who's a big Villa fan, and he was kind of talking about uh, Newcastle, and he was saying, you know, we've got to win it, but everybody, else, every Villa fan I speak to thinks we're going to lose it. I think there's a kind of a natural born pessimism, whether that's born out of being a Villa fan or whether that's been born out of the Brummy psyche. I'm not sure. Um, but listen, we, we, with respect to, to to Newcastle, I think Villa fans think that they're probably in the same league within a league. Villa, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So they should be, you know, you'd, you'd expect playing at Villa Park, Villa having the home advantage, Villa to edge that one. Go up to St James, as you could say, you could perhaps turn that on its head and you'd expect Newcastle to edge it. So I think Villa fans would expect Villa to be, to win this game. But I think you throw in the Bruce factor uh, and you're throwing how kind of bitter it came towards the end of it and you throw in a little, this little bit of fake rivalry and you throw in the fact that Villa... You know, it's from going so well against Norwich away to having those couple of setbacks against Man City and Liverpool. You just think, oh, you know, is Bruce going to come back and come back and haunt us? Um, I think if, like I said, I think if Grealish and McGinn are both on the pitch on Monday night, I think Villa will have enough to to edge it. Uh, if if Grealish isn't there, Villa, the rest of the Villa players got to step up. You know, they can't they can't. Be a one-man team that can't be can't rely on, on one guy, especially one guy who, no matter how gifted he is, you know history's told us in the last couple of seasons that Jack really misses six to, to eight weeks of the season um, with various injuries. Um, so Villa have got to find a way, got to find a way of um, not just beating Newcastle but beating other clubs without Jack Grealish in the team. So in terms of Newcastle United and what you've seen, um, who is the star man that stands out for you? The one man that Dean Smith said have got to keep quiet. It's a really interesting one, that is, because just trying to... I mean, I I, I like the guy up front, Joe Linton. Have I pronounced that right? You have, yeah. Thank God for that. <laughs> I think I think it's a bit like Wesley in terms of it's only a matter of time before it starts to happen. And I just hope, <laughs> hope that Monday night is not the time. That it, that it starts to happen. I mean, you could you you obviously you obviously see Newcastle regularly week in week out. I mean, am I being too kind to him? Is he on the verge of something there? Um, you know, would you would you consider him a danger man for Aston Villa? In terms of firing on goal, no. I think I think Alan St Maxman's probably the one um, that will terrorise the defence on Monday. You know, he's done it for the last few games. His speed, his trickery, his ball control is fantastic. Um, I actually think Al has got more chance of scoring than Joe Linton, um, just for various reasons. But I mean, if I was going to pick, if I was going to pick one man, it would be Alan St. Maxman as the man who kind of is the game changer. And it'd be interesting to see how the Villa defence can handle his pace and his skill and his trickery because um, the past few teams Newcastle have played, they've just not been able to do it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's interesting because Bruce somehow seems to have kind of, you know, I remember was it was it I don't know a month ago or six six weeks ago, and there was what what was the what was the story, Andrew about um, there's some tactical confusion confusion wasn't there about him playing a kind of midfielder at left back or something. What I happened think, there? I th- this is the first game of the season, and um, Jetta Williams had just signed, had come on and 
there was a bit of confusion um, between between Bruce and, and between Willems, and then Willems ended up in the in the wrong position. He was then switched over, and then Arsenal got the only goal of the game. But I think that was probably more to do with um, a new manager, a new player, and um, you know Bruce has kind of ironed out the the issues, especially the issues that rose after that Leicester City defeat. Um, which was which was an embarrassing performance and an embarrassing result and and Newcastle come in this game you know looking for their third win on the bounce. I think that's what it, I mean. I think that's a, that's a sign of Bruce's durability, to be honest. Because obviously he's gone up there in really really kind of difficult circumstances. Um, you know who would have wanted to follow follow Rafa in there, but he believes in himself and I think I think that he, he, at Villa he came out in a stubbornness towards the end because. You know, 40,000 Villa fans could see that it wasn't working. And Bruce was thinking, well, it's worked for me. I know what I'm doing. I'm an experienced football manager. But I think, you know, I think fair play to him for having the kind of the personality and the shoulders to, to take on that challenge. And like you've just, just said, the kind of the form that they're in now suggests that he's kind of winning winning the PR war up there. A little bit. I, I think he always said it was always going to be based on results and it was important to follow up the West Ham win with a win against Bournemouth and again I think you've mentioned previously there that there's this league within a league Newcastle failed to beat Brighton they failed to beat Watford at home who are I would say in that league within a league um, but they did manage to beat Bournemouth so now they've got to beat Villa and make sure that they are beating these sides who come you know uh, February, March are going to be the sides scrapping for their lives, I would think. Yeah, I think I think it's quite finely poised, to be honest. I think there's, um, there's a fascinating kind of subplot to it all. It is pantomime behind the scenes, you know. Villa need to need to win the match to, to give themselves, you know, a bit of momentum going into the Christmas period. Um, you know, Newcastle, obviously, Bruce need, needs to win the match to, to continue the momentum that he's built and to try and try and win over the uh, win over the St James's Park Park fans. But you know, I, I think yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I've not spoken to the the um, sub on the time banner man. But I think I don't think he'll I don't think he'll be delivering another. Uh, I think it's too finely poised. Uh, I don't think we can do with kind of Riley and Newcastle up. I think we just need to kind of keep things on a level uh, and just hope that our quality players over you know outperform your quality players. I think. Well, finally, I always ask our guests for a score prediction. So Matt, it's your turn. How do you think the game will finish on Monday? Let's go for a really squeaky, really nervy two-one. Let's go. Let's go. Villa going two-nil up and giving you know the, the whole time giving Bruce a bit of stick, and then Newcastle kind of pulling one back in the last corner, fifteen or twenty, and then it being a little bit uh, a little bit tense. Let's 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 hope I'm right. So that was the view there from the Midlands from Matt Kendrick of. Birmingham Live. Uh, it was Steve Bruce's press conference today, a day earlier than usual. And just a quick update on injury news. Jamal Lascelles, as we already know, um, is out. He actually fractured his leg against Bournemouth, which sounds bad, but Steve Bruce admitted that actually he thought it was potentially going to be a lot worse. He thought it was going to be ligament damage. So the fracture is seen um, as the best of a bad uh, bunch of options that could have happened. Um, but we do have positive news that both Cher and Lejeune are potentially going to be in that squad 
for Villa. Both have trained, both are ready. Steve Bruce has said, you know, you can only train so much. And he's talking about Lejeune there, back from injury. You can only train so much before you've just got to throw them in. And it's thought that both um, could be in contention for Monday. Um, and other than that, Newcastle are looking um, quite healthy. Obviously, we already knew about Matt Ritchie. But everyone that else that went away on international duty, other than maybe Kieran Clark, but again, Bruce is thinking that uh, Clark might just make it again. He's going to have to see over the weekend if Clark gets through training on the Saturday and the Sunday, if he can be in the squad for Monday against his former side. So Clark will not want to miss that game, given the brilliant form he's been in, given the fact he's Newcastle's top scorer, given the fact that he was called to the Island squad and turned out um, in midweek against Denmark, and that's where he picked up the knock. So... Um, a little bit of concern there, but in general, the squad looks good. Almiron's going to come back in, having scored um, over the international break as well for Paraguay. And we'll bring you all um, the build-up over the weekend and the match as well on chroniclelive.co.uk. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows... And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.